For our scripture reading this morning, I didn't ask a single person uh, to read. I'm hoping we will all read. And so here's what I invite you to do. If you're here in person and if you're at home, would you stand with us? This morning we're reading and uh, I'm preaching from Psalm 23. It's printed in your program and if you're watching from home, it'll appear on your screen. Let's all read Psalm 23 together as our scripture reading. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Will you be seated? Pray with me as we begin. O Lord, our God, we bless and thank you for the gift of your word. Grant your servant both the humility and the boldness necessary to preach it. Prepare our hearts and lives to be strengthened and changed by it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, A lot of you know Psalm 23 by a slightly different version. You may have grown up uh, saying it, memorizing it, reciting it in the King James Uh, One version's not necessarily better than another, but a lot of times it's helpful if something is so familiar, like Psalm 23 is, it's helpful for us to read a translation, a different translation in English. It just shakes us up, because sometimes when we're so familiar with something, it kind of skips off the surface. This helps us to, to just be arrested by the language a little bit differently. Now, uh, today, for Middle Street, in the Middle Street history today marks the one-year anniversary of online services for us. I don't know if y'all realize that. I realize it. One year ago today, Stephanie and Mindy, you remember? Gary, you remember? Uh, Tamara, it was, it was the Herds and Tamara and me. I think that was it. We uh, were in the chapel, maybe you remember. We set up, we had no idea what we were doing. So we took, we took my cell phone, we set it on a little stand on a music stand, and so we had the music stand kind of flat and the cell phone on top, And somehow we just broadcast right to Facebook from my cell phone. And it pointed one way while I preached. And then we had printed the words to the songs uh, on just a sheet of paper and put them on a music stand beside it. And so when it was time to sing, Gary behind the scenes would turn the music stand over and it would video the words that we had printed. And uh, you couldn't read anything. And it was, we we had, uh, it was the microphone on my cell phone was all we had. It was, um, in fact, this is one of my favorite memories, the stuff you don't see. Uh, we had such a hard time getting the camera angle so that it just looked okay that we had actually piled both music stands, I think, on like three or four hymnals in the chapel and everything was rickety. Um, how far we've come. <laughs> and it's actually helped us to realize, and even now, so for those of you at home, there's probably, I don't know, a dozen and a half people here. Um, we're still well below where we were a year ago. And we're realizing, and this isn't, a lot of that is just by necessity, and we get that. This isn't a criticism of that. But we're realizing through online worship, uh, and many of you have worshiped online for a year, how necessary it is to see people. 
And as I've, I've kept in touch with as many as I can, I've spent a lot of time on the phone over the past year because I can't see many of you in person, especially those of you at home. Um, you've told me things like, man, I miss my church family. I miss seeing people. It's just not the same. And in fact, many of you who are here uh, told me, especially the first time you came back, whenever that was, um, wow, it's, it's different. There aren't as many people here, but it just feels good. It just feels right to be in the presence of our church family worshiping together. The necessity of online church, what a weird phrase that is, has taught us that online church isn't enough. That an online gathering is never the same as an in-person gathering. It just can't be. Because church is people. Church is family. It's not anything else. And we've had the people stripped from our lives over the past years, and we've realized how impoverished we are without that. I don't need to tell you, it's been, it's been a hard year. It's been a dark year. And I'm thinking a lot about that as we approach Easter, and Lent is traditionally in some ways a season of darkness. And we're now we're at the year mark of online church, and so I'm reflecting and realizing it's just been hard. Where do we go in dark days? Because we've had some dark days. As we lead up to Easter, we're spending some, times in the, some time in the Psalms for the season of Lent. And we're asking the Psalms to help us to make sense of the season we find ourselves in. This morning, uh, we're going to spend time in the most well-known of all the Psalms, Psalm 23. Now, originally, my plan was to preach Psalm 23 today and then move on to Psalm 32 next week. Um, but uh, as is often my problem, I just I had way too much to say. So instead of uh, just cutting stuff and leaving it, we're going to do the first half of Psalm 23 this week, and then the second half next week, and then some, someday in, I don't know, a couple years, we'll do Psalm 32 again. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's, it actually works really well, because there are two main images that we get in Psalm 23. The first four verses, we get an image of a shepherd and his sheep. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice that all of a sudden the, the imagery changes very dramatically, and it goes from a shepherd and a sheep to an image of a dinner table, a host and his friend or his guest. So today we'll look at the image of a shepherd and a sheep and see how does that help us in dark days? How does that lead us and guide us? Next week we'll look at the host and his guests. The shepherd and the sheep image is probably the most vivid, maybe because, I mean, everybody. You'll be hard-pressed to find an American who doesn't at least know the line, the Lord is my shepherd. Even if they've never been to church, even if they're not a Christian, we've all at least heard it, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What we see from this image is, is really two things, that in dark days we need, we need a shepherd who can provide for us, we need a shepherd who can protect us. That's where we're going to find our hope, in a shepherd who provides for us and a shepherd who protects us. And right from the outset, the, King David, who wrote this psalm, teaches us that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, language changes over time, and the, that phrase, I shall not want, comes from the King James that many of us are so familiar with. Here's the trouble with how language changes and evolves over time, is want doesn't mean now what it meant then. So now we hear want, and I, like, I, I want a candy bar. Uh, I want... Uh, I want to go skiing this weekend. I want to whatever. But in King James English, want actually means need. It actually almost has the opposite meaning. This is one of those reasons it's helpful to look at Scripture in different translations. 
The more literal translations, they're more clunky, they're not as poetic, which is one reason it's, the King James is so beautiful. But here's how some other translators try to make sense of it. The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I lack. Nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I kind of like this one, even though it's really, again, clunky. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be without any good thing. Now, it's a mouthful, but it helps get the sense across, doesn't it? In other words, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. First question, right out of the bat. Do you believe that the Lord has given you everything you need? Do you believe that you're not lacking a single thing that you need? Now, if you don't believe that, it doesn't make it any less true. It just means you don't realize it. Right? Just because you're unaware of God's steady hand behind you doesn't mean that his steady hand isn't, in fact, behind you. It just means you're unaware. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no unmet needs. How does that work? Let's get there in a roundabout way and first say a couple things about shepherds and sheep. If that's the prevailing image, we need to understand a few things about shepherds and sheep. Uh, sheep are dirty. You know this? Sheep can't clean themselves. They need constant care. Sheep don't shed their wool. So if you don't shear a sheep, it will keep growing and keep growing until actually it'll overheat and die. Sheep don't know how to look for food. They don't, they don't forage. They don't uh, look for food. They just, if they happen to be somewhere where there's grass, they'll eat it. But if not, they're just kind of stuck. They kind of meander. They don't, they don't go anywhere with purpose which means that if a shepherd doesn't guide a sheep to food, the sheep will eventually starve to death if it's not killed first. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, same goes for water. Sheep don't know how to look for water. There's evidence from uh, the lives of shepherds that if you can lead a sheep to water and it'll drink, but it won't actually stay by the water, it might just wander off again. So you have to, con a shepherd constantly has to be leading the sheep towards food and towards water. Sheep are completely domesticated. There is not, so I looked this up just to make sure it was right, and so sheep is like a, a species, and then there are subspecies or sub whatever, I don't know all of those classifications, but the kind of sheep we're talking about, this subspecies of sheep, you, you literally will never find a wild one. They cannot provide, they're completely unable to provide for themselves. Leave a sheep on its own in the wild, and it will die. Sheep really, sheep are what are they worth then? What's the point? Well, the point is simple. A sheep needs, needs a shepherd. A shepherd is not a nice accessory to have. It's not a nice to have. It is a need for a sheep. Now, at this point, you're putting two together, two and two together. You're realizing, okay, you've said all this about she sheep, and Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, which means, I wait a minute, Chris. That's offensive, right? Are you saying that I'm a sheep? Are you saying I'm dirty? Are you saying, I can't care for myself? I can't provide for myself? Uh, no, I'm not. The Bible is. <laughs> That's what it says. That offends our modern sensibilities, right? I mean, in a sense, and, and if you're not chafing a little bit at that, you're actually not hearing what King David is saying. It's offensive to our modern sensibilities to be compared to sheep especially in our modern world where the prevailing ethic, and especially in New England, I can take care of myself. Thank you. I don't need your help. I'm all set. 
so we think. Now, we're most prone to think that when things are going well, but even when things are going well, that's a, that's a fallacy. Even when things are going well, we're, we're frankly foolish if we think we have provided everything for ourselves. But in dark days, in dark days, this becomes even more acute and even more important. It's in those times, more than ever, that we have to remember, the Lord is my shepherd. He provides. I lack nothing that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. There's a, a great, probably the, the best commentator, the best Old Testament scholar on the book of Psalms is named Gerald Wilson, was named I guess he died a little while ago. But here's, here's what he writes in one of his commentaries. He says, Those people who have visited the undeveloped lands of the Bible will know just how unusual the picture of Psalm 23 is. At best, the biblical land is a dry, rocky set of rolling hills covered with a sparse and tough grass. Water sources are few and often seasonal, Shepherds had to be ready to take their flocks on long migrations from one source of grazing land and water to another. In other words, what's he pointing out? He's pointing out that the the image in Psalm 23 is so vivid because it didn't really exist in ancient Israel, or it was very hard to find. Which means that when you find yourself in the dry, rocky wilderness, whether literally or metaphorically, you have to be reminded there is a good shepherd and he knows where the green pastures are, and he is leading you to the green pastures and to the spring of life-giving waters. It's kind of an obvious point, but let's just go ahead and make the obvious point. It doesn't say that God created the green pastures and the still waters, and now it's up to you to find them. No, it says he leads me to them. He guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. Which means if we, plain and simple, even in the dry, rocky land, if we follow the shepherd, sooner or later, we will find ourselves in the green pastures. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Chris, that's, that sounds nice. I'm not in the green pastures right now. That sounds great. Maybe that's coming. It's not where I am right now. What do I do then? Read the next verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Maybe that feels more like where you are. It's kind of felt like the past year, hasn't it? And it's in those times more than ever, when you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, that you need the reminder that there is a shepherd guiding you in the right paths. It's in those times that we need to remember we have a shepherd who provides for us and who protects us, who protects us from evil. Because you know what you call a sheep without a shepherd? Dead. Dinner. <laughs> like not only are sheep unable to provide for themselves, they can't protect themselves. So what happens if a predator meets a sheep in the wilderness? How's a sheep going to fight back? How's it going to run? It can't. It needs a shepherd to protect it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. That's a vivid image, isn't it? The valley of the shadow of death. You could also translate it as the valley of despair. I like valley of the shadow of death because that's, again, that's King James. 
you know, there's sometimes that words, you just can't translate a word. So the approach I think they took with the King James, I wasn't there, uh, was let's just paint a picture that gets the sense across. They're not trying to get a literal one-to-one meaning, but it does a good job. If you were to translate the Hebrew literally there again, it would be something like the valley of despair, the valley of, I like the valley of suffocating darkness. It doesn't actually explicitly mention death, but it's clear this is the last place you want to be. This is the last place you want to be. I'm in the valley of suffocating despair. Even though I walk the valley of suffocating despair, I will not fear. Now, that's a bold claim. (laughs) How do I get that? Most of us fear. We feel anxiety. We feel, you know, whatever. How do, we get to the, how do you get to the point, in other words, where you can wade into your deepest fears without fear? Well, there are two comforts that David gives us right here in Psalm 23. One is forward-looking and one is backward-looking. Let's look at them. First, look back. Again, right before this verse. What comes right before this verse? He leads me on the right paths. The right paths. Another great Old Testament commentator, um, Derek Kidner, points this out, and this was so helpful to me. He says, the darkest valley is just as truly one of the right paths as are the green pastures. You notice that connection? See, we tend to separate them. And a a lot of times you see a new verse number. Oh, it's a new verse, and so you must think it's a new thought, but it's connected. That what King David is saying is just because you're in the valley of the shadow of death doesn't necessarily mean you're on the wrong path. Sometimes, in fact, the only way to the next green pasture is through the valley of suffocating despair. Now, if you're a sheep, all you see is dirt. All you feel is heat and hunger and thirst. All you hear are the yips and the yowls and the the noises of all the predators in the wilderness. But the shepherd, who has a vantage that you don't, knows that just around the bend and over the crest of the hill, There is another green meadow. Well, I don't see it. You don't have to. Not if you're following the shepherd. Now, if you're not following the shepherd, then you better know where it is. But the shepherd knows. Which gets us to the second comfort. Look forward. What are the next words? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. Thou art with me in the King James. He doesn't say, I will not fear because I use positive self-talk. He doesn't say, I will not fear because I'm going to face and confront my fears, and if I name them, that will make them a little bit less scary. And he doesn't psychotherapize himself. Is that a word? He doesn't say, I will not fear because I'm going to puff up and I'm going to intimidate my predators, my enemies, my opponents, and dominate them or at least scare them into backing down. I will not fear. Why? Simply, for thou art with me. I know the one who has my back. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, Psalm 23, you know, when when we think about it, like it's the perfect hallmark greeting card psalm. And the green pastures and the still waters are a nice image. Uh, You don't see, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, on the front of a hallmark card. You don't see the shepherd's rod and staff on the front of a hallmark card, which is a good thing because those are weapons. What are weapons doing in the middle of Psalm 23? If you're a sheep... You want your shepherd to have a rod and a staff, let me assure you. The rod is probably something like a club. 
Archaeologists have found shepherd's rods, <laughs> whatever that is. It's about that long. It's like a, um, a yard and a half long. It's a blunt force trauma weapon, clearly used by shepherds to fight off predators. The staff is longer. It could also be used as a weapon. And it has, you know, like, uh, think back to all the, the nativity scenes around Christmas time and the shepherds. They have this long staff and the big crook at the end of it, the big hook. The shepherds used that. That was functional. They could actually hook it around a sheep and pull it back to safety if it was wandering from the path too much. And it was probably not a very delicate yank. It was probably a very violent yank. Get back to safety. <laughs> now, that seems cruel. But, I mean, let me just... If my daughter wanders off the sidewalk into a busy street and I grab her by the, the back of her collar and yank her back, is that cruel? The rod and staff are their weapons. They are symbols of protection. If you're not one of the sheep, they're bad news. But if you're a sheep, your shepherd's rod and your shepherd's staff are the best news you could hope for. Again, let's make one more fairly obvious point, but it's worth making. It doesn't say that the sheep have a rod and a staff. David doesn't say, I fight off my own enemies. He lets the shepherd use his rod and his staff. The shepherd will never ask his sheep sheep to fight or to defend themselves. He does it for them. Now, people might say, if that's the case, then are you basically saying our job as Christians is just to shut down and do nothing? Well, no, of course not. Our job is to follow the shepherd. Our job is to follow the shepherd through the valley of suffocating darkness. And in the valley of suffocating darkness, a lot of times we don't necessarily want to follow the shepherd. We want to find our own way. It's the, um, I don't know if you like country music. There's that old country song. I don't think it's that old. If you're going through hell, keep on going. You know it. Um, it's ba- I found out it's based on a Winston Churchill quote who said the exact same thing. If you're going through hell, keep going. Point is obvious, Right? Because if you find yourself going through hell, why would you stop? Why would you decide to stay there? No, keep going. Now, the one theological point that the country song doesn't make and probably should is you don't keep going aimlessly. You keep going but following the shepherd. You don't have to find your own way out of the valley of suffocating despair. You follow the shepherd. You follow the shepherd. That takes courage, by the way. That takes courage. But if we're following the shepherd and we know that he knows where he's going, then we can confidently follow him. It's like this. I heard this illustration a couple months ago. I don't know where I heard it. Imagine you're driving. Put yourself about two months in the past when it was cold and in the middle of winter. Imagine you're driving through the mountains. It's a rural area. You have no idea where you are. It's dark. You're alone in the car. It's snowing. You don't have GPS. And you're trying to get from point A to point B. Which would you rather have in that scenario? Would you rather have a military-issue topographical map that shows you every hill and every landmark and every tree and, and the terrain and elevation and roads and whatever? Or would you rather have a local resident sitting in the passenger seat with you? Clearly, you want the local sitting there with you. You might think, but Chris, if I have the map, then I know where everything is. Yeah, you do, but how do you know where you are? There's snow on the road. You can't see the road sign. You don't know how to make sense of A and B and C, and you've got to figure it all out. And what if you get it wrong? 
But if you have the local sitting in the passenger seat right next to you, you don't have to know anything. You don't have to know what road is what. You don't have to know what landmark is what because he knows or she knows. And they say turn left and you turn left. And they say turn right and you turn right. And you always end up because they know the terrain. How often when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death do we ask God for a map instead of a passenger? How often do we say, God, just help, why? If you would just explain this to me, I could figure it out. And he says, you don't have to understand. Just follow me. The good news is that the valley of the shadow of death is an in-between place. It's not our final destination. The shepherd is leading us, leading us to the green pastures and to the still waters. It's not pleasant. I'm not saying it is. But you're just passing through. Now we have to ask one last question. How do you know you can trust the shepherd? Like, how do you know the shepherd really wants what's best for you? So let's zoom out and let's acknowledge the, the obvious metaphor. I've talked a lot about the shepherd and sheep. It's, it's God in us, clearly. How do I know, Chris, that God really is the good shepherd? How do I know that God really wants what's best for me? How can I trust him? It's a good question. If you have the wrong understanding of God, you won't trust him. If God just demands that you follow a certain set of rules, and if you follow them well enough, then you'll find yourself in the green pastures, then you won't trust him. You'll trust yourself and your own ability to follow the rules. But listen to how Jesus puts it in John 10. I'm going to read John 10, verses 11, and then skip down to 14 and 15. This is Jesus. I am the good shepherd. Could it be any more clear, by the way? (laughs) I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Twice, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And twice, Jesus says, some version of the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's outrageous. Don't think of this for for just a sec. Don't think of this in the context of God and us. Think of just a literal shepherd and sheep. What shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep? No good shepherd. You can get more sheep. You can't get a second life. Jesus, the Messiah, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. In fact, he went one step further and he became a sheep. You realize this? This is how Isaiah describes Jesus in Isaiah 53, verses 7, 8, and 9. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb, like a lamb, like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off from the land of the living. It's a poetic way of saying they killed him. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave 
with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no, no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus Christ became a lamb, led to the slaughter. Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, became like us in every way, only without sin. He endured the valley of death. See, you notice what David says? If we're going to take the, the, the King James language, let's play with that a little bit. For us, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But what's real about a shadow? Nothing. Like, what is a shadow? I mean, it's just the way light plays with something, but a shadow isn't a tangible thing. We endure the valley of the shadow of death because Jesus Christ endured the valley of death itself. See the difference? And he endured the valley of death itself so that when you endure the valley, it's only the shadow of death. It's not actual death. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, Jesus says, next chapter of John in John 11. Jesus Christ endured the valley of death itself so that we only endure the valley of the shadow of death. So that for us, even when we're in the valley of suffocating despair, we know that just around the bend, just over the crest of the hill, our shepherd is leading us to green pastures and still waters. Friends, that's the comfort of the gospel. That's the comfort of Psalm 23. It's that even in the valley of the shadow of death, in suffocating despair, you have a good shepherd. He wants you He wants what's best for you. Let him lead you. Lord knows he can lead you better than you can lead yourself. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you are our good shepherd. And we go astray when we forget that. Think of just earlier in Isaiah 53, it said, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are prone to wander, like the old hymn says, prone to, lead, prone to leave the God we love. So Lord, be our good shepherd. Guide us, yank us, if that's what we need, back onto the good path, the right path. Help us to follow you instead of wandering off on our own. Help us to trust you. Help the words, the the very first lines of Psalm 23 to be our, our hope. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Oh, Lord, restore our souls. We ask these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.